Welcome, everybody, to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and look over there, it's handsome Howard Tybal. Don't give me this. You know, you're getting too comfortable in your own britches, Pete. Is that- <laughs> God. I haven't had anybody use the word britches around me since, well, since Grandma Wanda. Yeah, am I, am I dating myself? A little I bit. I now know that... You know, I'm still learning what Twitter. Let's not even go there about Twitter. Hey, you did a you did a great job. Okay, you did a fantastic I, I, job. You had just the right hashtags under. If you want to follow Howard Tybel, <laughs> Howard Tybel on Twitter is at Howard Tybel, and now he set the stage with some fantastic twittering from mm. Nakubo hashtag Nakubo AM, the Nakubo Annual Meeting 2013, and now the standard has been set. The bar has been set. The expectation is you need to to tweet more. How'd you feel about tweeting? Uh, it's, 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 you know, actually, I'll, I'll give you a, I think this is relevant to others. <laughs> that's good. That'll be good. What, what, what I'm beginning to discover about tweeting that's really interesting. Uh, you know, if I'm in a session and I listen to somebody and I really like what they said, ultimately there's only so much you can take away. So the concept of a tweet in my, my view is it's a way of, it's an alternative way of writing down an idea that I, that I want to even embed in my own, in my own head that I want to be able to share in the future. It just ends up being a tool that allows you to share it with a wide audience, whether or not they find it interesting. Uh, you know, you, you can't control that, but I, I like the act of having uh, a mechanism of saying, all right, what is the bottom line of something you learned? And rather than just writing it down in a piece of paper that I might be using in the future, it's, it's, it's in its own way, a way of collecting thoughts that you might want to draw from in the future. Oh, I love that. I love how you frame that. It's like a personal sort of uh, uh, journal. Exactly. A personal public journal. Yeah, the piece of it that the piece of it that still, you know, I think most, much of us are looking to get used to is, you know, is it is is what we're tweeting something really relevant to others and uh, that's something that I think you just got to get comfortable with over time and I'm slowly getting there through your your encouragement and and personal counseling well I'll tell you I enjoyed uh, following your tweets uh, from from the conference and and you know speaking of the conference you know we had this uh, we, we had our conversation last week we wanted to do this this follow-up of your kind of key learnings from Nakubo 2013 annual meeting and and uh, there were some some interesting points that came out of that and one that we wanted to to follow up on was this this idea of of kind of the modern challenges facing the CFO and the finance office and and um, and you know as a result of listening to some uh, strong panelists at the meeting and your own presentation uh, yeah. communicating financial information effectively uh, which was as I gather very well attended yeah it was yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Well, no, no, we we got some some key learnings that we we wanted to share with the uh, with the broader audience. And, yeah, and so I had a, where I had a great. Start? Well, you might you know I presented with Lorraine Arvin from the University of Chicago, and it, it was great because we had a complimentary story. I mean, she she brought the institutional uh, awareness, and she lives it. She lives it day to day, and you know this was a room full of business officers at all different levels, and there was a story to tell there about. You know how important communicating effectively is. Uh, so that was something that we spent, you know, an hour and a half engaging a group, and and I think that people really walked away with some good strategies. You know, she was able to show them the difference between, you know, presenting something in narrative format and presenting a graph that really tells a story 
it, you know, I think the thing that really resonated with people is the difference between using jargon and non-jargon uh, in terms of uh, any one of these financial terms that we throw out. And I think there was people nodding their heads consistently in this. But there were three concepts that one of which is the communication. But in the NCAA event, we, we talked about communication and two other things that related to, in my view, greasing the wheels. You know, I've been I've been working with senior teams, uh, whether it's institutional strategic plans or divisional strategic plans or association strategic plans. The, the strategic plan often gets perceived as a report that's going to get built. And, you know, they've they're just finished their 2012 and now they're doing their 2020 and all that's good. But the truth about strategic planning is not about the report. It's, it's ultimately about implementation. It's ultimately about taking what you're going to create, uh, figuring out what the goals are, uh, and then the part that is probably the hardest is aligning the organization. You know, so how do you get people to align? And it's, it's not around the report. It's about engaging them. And, and there's three techniques or three critical success factors uh, that we talked about at the annual meeting. And one of them is this concept of relationship management, you know, this idea of influence without authority. You know, many of us don't have the authority to make people around us do things. But if we exert a certain kind of influence, well, how do you build influence? Relationship management is, is one of those things. And, and what that is ultimately is about being interested versus interesting. You know, if we break it down to, you know, how do you, how do you really make great connections even on a networking personal basis, you're interested in the other versus being interesting to others. And in the, how that shows up in the business world is if you have to work with an academic unit and you're in the finance division, rather than calling them up and saying or emailing them and saying, you know, I need your, you know, your enrollment data for X, Y period, the opening conversation could be, you know what, before we get into some of the things that I'm looking for, I'm curious, is there anything you need from me? Man, they would turn their head and go, really? Are you starting by asking what I need? We do not do enough of that. So relationship management is the simple act. Hard to do because you have to be mindful. But be willing to recognize that before you step in and make demands and requests of others, find a way to help them. And over time, you'll discover there's not much you have to do to build a sense of trust because you're coming into the, you know, we all know, oh my God, look at this email. Look, I, before you open it, you know what you're going to see, which is another request. We don't have time for it. So we're very limited who we give our energy to. What we have to do is build better relationships so, so those we're working with are willing and interested to help us back. That's number one. Okay, that's number one. So we're relationship management, uh, n- number one. I, I'm, well, I'm going to hold my point until you get to your next. Because I think I, I think I know where you're going, and I'm, I'm, I have a new vector for you. So okay. what is, what is number two? Well, n- number two is you know the simple act of what does it mean to be an effective communicator, and it really comes down to three things. Whether you're doing in writing, whether you're speaking, whether you're, whatever format it is, there's three things you have to do well. Number one. Know what your intended outcome is. Number two, know who your audience is. If it's the staff and it's financial data, you're going to tell them a story differently than if it's the board of trustees. 
often we don't step back before we deliver a message and say, how do I deliver this differently to this different audience? So that's number two. And number three is know how you want to deliver the message, right? The tone you want to set, what you're looking for from, uh, from this outcome. That is such an important thing to reflect on. Uh, you know, the example we talked about in, in one of the workshops was if you, if you lead a group of people there, and you think about the spectrum of communication if you're in charge, one is just do it because I told you and I'm the boss. And the other extreme is let's get together and think about this and we're going to make a collaborative decision. It's like one extreme to the other. And what we don't do enough of is say, all right, this particular communication demands a direct request. I'm in a position to make that. Just do it. And other times it's like we go in with a demand and really what we should be doing is saying, let's have a discussion before we make a decision. So the very simple act of know what you're trying to accomplish, know who you're speaking to, which should influence how you're going to communicate. And finally, know how you're going to deliver the message. You pay attention to those three things, you're going to hit it out of the park 90% of the time. I love this because now you're you're really speaking into my in in, in my bailiwick, right? I mean, this is this is marketing. It is marketing. Right. This is how you are, you know, your this is your the delivery of, of a core message around a uh, around a product, which is your uh, you know, your initiative. How do you how do you package uh, your message to build trust with your audience? And it's funny, in, 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 in higher ed, you know, terms like marketing, terms like sales, yeah. they're, they're dirty words. And they they're are dirty, dirty words. Be, yeah. be, well, because they're, they're interpreted as being manipulative, right? right? When in fact, if we tell the truth about it, we're always trying to get people, we're trying to, when we, you know, you know how we water it down and we, so we don't have to say the word sales? We call it buy-in. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. If we can get buy-in, and everyone's comfortable with that, but ultimately, if we don't do that, whether you call it sales or marketing, uh, you're not going to get people to go with you down the path. Right. So those two, those two things. One is be interested. Two is be thoughtful about how you communicate. And the third one, you know, we could spend an hour talking about this, Pete. Is what does it mean? to be an effective leader. And in all my work with different, you know, whether it's provosts and vice presidents or the cabinet or the presidents of institutions, my experience is great leaders do four things well. One, they're direct and they listen thoughtfully, right? Those mm -hmm. two things sometimes are diametrically, you know, sometimes a direct leader uh, is not listening carefully, but the great leaders are willing to have a clear and direct message, but at the same time, listen thoughtfully. Number two, willing to make tough decisions. And often those decisions in higher ed that are tough have to do with people, right? The people, and then also looking at how, if I, and I'm thinking from the presidential perspective, how do we engage, for example, the mission side of the house, the academics, the faculty, in how can we do a better job? Uh, Sometimes it requires stepping into a conversation that may require some tough decisions. And today, the big tough decisions are, you know, are we staffed properly? And that's a really hard decision or discussion to have. So willing to make tough decisions is number two for, for being an effective leader. Number three, and I, th and I see this in myself, I'm sure you see this in yourself, trust, trust your instincts. 
right? That's something, that's a lifetime of learning. But I can't tell the number of times I'm with leaders and they say back to me, I, sh- I knew three months ago I should have done this. And I didn't. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh. But it's not about making decisions in a rash way. It's about knowing when it's the right thing to do, trusting your instincts, and doing it. And sometimes it's being patient, right? So it's not like it's a rule that trusting your instincts mean you have to act immediately. I'm working with an incredible leader right now, and he's recognizing that instincts include being patient, uh, it, it, not sort of jumping. So that's the third right, one. Right, and the right. fourth one, and again, this is, uh, this is one of those looking in the mirror and then holding others to it, is holding yourself and others to high standards, right? It's not just holding others to high standards, but I know that it's that practice what we preach. If, if we can't motivate others to act if we don't act ourselves in that way. We just They're just words then. So if I step back and say, how do you make a strategic plan sing? How do you make an initiative move forward? It's doing those three things well. Managing the relationship and building trust. Effectively knowing what you're trying to communicate and recognizing the audience you're talking to and having the right tone. And third, being willing to do some of those hard things that show up where great leaders know how to do. And it's a process. You don't do these things overnight. But if you put your mind towards those three areas, you can really show uh, people around you that you're, you're, you're attempting to really engage them in a way that they may have never been engaged with before like that. Okay, so you put on your, uh, your best strategic um, helper hat, right? And you are going into uh, the uh, University of uh, High Standards, and this University of High Standards has a, uh, a challenge in their finance office, right? They, they clearly, you know that they are facing the strategic challenges that are facing so many uh, financial offices uh, around the country. Uh, what is the first thing that you recommend the, the CFO does, sort of eight o'clock Monday morning, to begin to get a handle on, you know, how they, uh, you know, how do they approach their, their office, given what we've just talked about? Well, I, I think it's as, uh, you know, if we, pick, if we keep it in the context of this conversation, mm-hmm. is to ask themselves, you know, this is what we did in the workshop, is ask yourself, uh, how well do I do those things? How well do I reach across the aisle and show interest in the other before I ask for things? Uh, do I lead from an authoritative position or do I lead or do I have another tool in my belt where I sometimes can be collaborative and I can, and, but, but do I apply it in the right way? So in some ways there's not, there's not a single answer to your one question. It's really ask yourself, how well do I, do I show interest in others? Number two, do I, do I uh, act thoughtfully? Do, do I just communicate or do I step back and do I know what I'm communicating? It's almost like you got to do this stuff in real time. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not you know, a Monday morning it, thing. No, but you know what I think it is, and I think you are you're painting a, a picture of this in a really interesting way. I asked the question: How does the organization take a handle, get a handle on on their sort of modern finance challenges? And you responded uh, that this is you know all of your sort of bullets are individual 
strategies. They're, they're strategies for the individual leader, right? They're not for an organization. They're not for, I mean, you're, you're saying this is what you, the individual person, should be thinking about as you, as you yeah. uh, attack. And this idea of individual responsibility, I think, can't be understated. And, and I think it's well, very it's, natural for you to go down yeah. that, that road, but it's an important uh, sort of concept. Reminder. Well, see, here's what's interesting. You know, as you were speaking, I, I, I was just thinking, uh, we can get really deep and, and say, so, you know, there really is no organization, but there is. And the way organization shows up is really around culture. Anybody that, that knows where that they're trying to affect change, you have to be willing to recognize the culture of the organization. That is a way that of, of, of recognizing that there's more room that you might not be taking because the culture is more open than you think, or the culture is... You know, an example of, of a presumption we make about a lot of higher ed culture is being resistant to change. But you could equally tell the story that higher ed historically, all the way back, you know, to the beginnings before Harvard, has been historically uh, open to change and has evolved. But it depends on what time frame you're thinking about. You know, we're just we're at another sort of critical crossroads. So. I think that that there's there's two stories. One story is personal responsibility, uh, being a role model, showing others what it means to act like this, developing yourself. And the other story is there is an organizational culture. We have to be mindful about it, and we have to be willing to push on the boundaries. And it's only those people, the people that are willing to do that, that are that are going to affect the change. The more people do this, the more you can get people around you to get inspired to try new and different things, the easier it's going to be. There's a lot of schools out there with incredible leaders who are going to move the needle, who are going to rethink their business model, uh, who are going to say, you know what, we don't have to be a school of 15,000. We can be a school of this and we can do a better job. You know, so there's a there there's a lot of conversations that have to happen about the programmatic the programmatic side and that conversation is only going to happen if the people who have the authority including the president are willing to say let's sit down and and really design a bigger vision for where we're trying to go and then deconstruct the details. So we're we're somewhat on a tangent a bit but at the same time, you you raise something I think really important is that I think my my career is around helping the individual affect change organizationally. That's the only thing you can do. You cannot make other people change. All you can do is change yourself. I love it. I feel like you need a, like a rim shot at the end of that. That was beautiful. Swish! Swish. Uh, thank you so much, as ever, uh, Howard Teibel. Thank you so much for your time and wisdom today. It's always fun with you. Always fun. Always. Always. And uh, you can find more from uh, from us uh, and the, Teibel, the the Navigating Change podcast from Teibel Inc. You can head over to iTunes and search for us. You can head over to the website, TeibelInc.com, and you'll find it right there on the main page. And uh, subscribe to us, please. Don't miss a single episode. How why would you even want to live in a world where you weren't notified every single week that there was another Navigating Change podcast? Does this guy know marketing or what? <laughs> Yikes. I can't imagine a world where this kind of tool didn't exist. Yeah, I don't uh, know what to do with this. Uh, <laughs> you were born 100 years ago, Pete. You'd be, I don't know what. No, I, I'd be in a ditch. There would, I'd, I have no, without this, I'm nothing. 
Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. Mm-hmm.